Oh, I praise God for Thanksgiving. Can I get? I think that might be my favorite holiday. All right, man. I, I have a burden to minister the word of the Lord today. If you got your Bibles, we're in Luke chapter twelve, and I am concluding the patience of a saint series. Uh, someone once said that patience is a virtue. The problem with patience, of course, is that it's no fun. It's difficult. But what patience is, is the ability to endure through difficult times, to get through difficult seasons, sort of like the times that we're living in right now, these last days. Now, I want to read Luke chapter 12, and I'm going to start in verse uh, 54, read verse 55, 56, and pray, and I want to kind of prime the pump here. This is what Jesus said to the multitudes. He said, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say a shower is coming, and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say, there will be hot weather, and there is. Hypocrites! He said, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you do not discern this time? Let's just pray. Father, we thank you this morning uh, for the word of the Lord. It's like fire in my belly like Jeremiah had shot up in my bones. And I just pray, Lord, that you'd open up hearts, minds, uh, recipient, ready to receive. We do thank you, Lord, that you've given us the Holy Spirit that helps us discern these moments in time that we're in it gives us insight, understanding, and shows us things to come. And we're grateful for your insight in the scriptures today. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen and amen. Uh, I, was, uh, I, I was hit with a memory as I was preparing this message this morning. As most of you know, my father passed away about 20 years ago. And I was kind of reminded of a moment I had with him. It was like I was brought back in time. And it was about this time of year. Uh, November. And I remember my dad was having just a miserable day. Uh, he had, he, you know, he had a stroke. He couldn't talk. And he kind of was trying to communicate himself. He was very frustrated about that. And he ended up getting in a little argument with my mother, which, you know, was not typical of him. That's not something that normally happened. And so I caught him in the hallway as he was, uh, you know, going upstairs. And I was trying to, you know, talk about what happened. I was trying to tell him to simmer down. And uh, he started crying, which also was out of his character. And I guess in that moment, like, that was unique, but it was almost like I didn't really appreciate the magnitude of it. I didn't quite discern the moment that I was in because it was just a few weeks after that that my father passed away. But that memory has, has never left me. It was imprinted in my mind forever. And this is the same thing that the Pharisees had. They had a moment in time where they were with Jesus, the Messiah that was promised, and they missed their moment. They did not discern their time. And you know, when I think about the Pharisees here, I'm reminded about the times that we live in. Because Jesus said, how is it that you don't discern this moment? I mean, he, he's talking to them. He's in the flesh. He's there right now. And I'm just telling you that in the world today, there is a moment taking place. We are in a moment, and we need to discern the times that we're living in. Scripture calls it the last days. That, that's that's kind of where we are in this, in this world that we're in. And it's never in the history of the world been a convergence of all of the signs that Jesus talked about coming together in one moment. That's why we need to discern these times that we're in. It, it, all the signs are there. In fact, you know, Jesus said that uh, there would be signs in the sun, the moon, the stars. And I don't know if you saw in Australia last week, they had a, an eclipse that was the longest lasting solar eclipse in the last 580 years. 
I mean, that hadn't happened in, in, in you know, centuries. And, and here we're seeing it in these days. Uh, we've talked about Israel and its restoration, how significant that is in Bible prophecy. Uh, you know, I, I've talked about the advances in technology and, and increase in travel from the book of Daniel. We could talk about, you know, the people's hearts being selfish in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and, and the frustrations that that brings. And, and, you know, Matthew 24 talks about earthquakes and difficult things. And, and, and yet Jesus said that the sign of the last days would be that the gospel of the kingdom is being preached in all the world. And I'm telling you, that is happening with technology today at unprecedented levels. And so we're in this moment where it's like everything is coming together and we need to be discerning of the moment that we're in. We need to discern the times and the seasons that we're in. So I want to stay in passage here. I'm going to be in Luke chapter 12. And what I want to highlight for you are the parables of preparation. You know, I love teaching through the parables. The parables are are so unique in the way that Jesus taught them because they are simple stories that have a theological complexity to them. And and they're fun to delve into, to study, because Jesus is really highlighting things for us. And sometimes, you know, we just kind of read through them. Now, this particular parable I have never taught from before. I I really, you know, had a wonderful time studying and figuring out. And what it is, is the parable of the faithful and the unfaithful servant. And he's kind of going to tell a story And then he's going to elaborate on it and expound upon it. And so it's kind of one long parable, but it really illustrates the moment that we're in. Now, I want to have you back up with me to verse number 35. And this is what Jesus said. He he said, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And he said, you yourselves should be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding. Somebody say wedding. He said, when he'll return from this wedding, he'll come and he'll knock. And it says that the door will open to him immediately. Now, these parables of preparation, the first thing that I want to highlight is that you need to be prepared for departure. We need to prepare for a departure. That's what he meant in verse 35 when he said that you ought to gird your waist and get your lamps ready. That's a metaphor for it's time for you to, you know, get going and be, and be ready. That's in Bible days, they would wear robes and the evidence that they were about to travel, the way they'd get prepared was they would take the robe and tuck it into their belt. And that meant they're headed for a journey. That's what uh, happened to Elisha, the prophet in first Kings 18, when he girded his waist and he ran after the chariot, he tucked his clothes in so that he could run. And the lamps, of course, is what Jesus talked about. Matthew 25, uh, the lamps needed to be ready, filled with oil, because he's talking here about a wedding. He said, you better be ready for the wedding. Now, in Western culture today, uh, we kind of read through the passage of Scripture, and we're not you know, intimately familiar with the culture. But in Israel, in Galilee, these guys knew exactly what he's talking about. I mean, he's speaking their language in their culture, and he's saying something everybody would have been familiar with. He's talking about the Jewish wedding, which was a focal point of their society. There is no other culture in the world that identifies or focuses on a wedding like they did in Israel. I mean, it really is an incredible thing, the Jewish wedding, if you've ever looked at it. I brushed up on it this week. And what happened in, you know, Bible days, when a man would propose to his wife, 
they would come and do it like in front of everybody in the town square. And if she accepted his proposal, she would drink from the cup with him. And once that took place, that was the evidence that this was a done deal. It was like that was legally binding at that point. Once they would drink from the cup together. And in that moment, what the groom would do is he would, when she accepted the betrothal, he would go home to be with his father where he would add a room onto the house. You know, I've been to Israel now uh, twice. And what's interesting about Israel when you drive through there is like you'll see houses that are like half built or a second or third story will be going up and it's halfway done. And that's because they don't have mortgages over there. If they have money, they just build it as they go. And, and what it is is that that's how the family unit is adding on. So the groom, he would go to the father's house and he would just you know, build onto that house. And finally, when he'd get it done, which could take as long as perhaps a year, the father would inspect it, he would look at it, and he would make the decision, this is the right moment, and then he would go for his bride. And in the Jewish tradition, that meant it could happen in the middle of the night. That's what they would do. They might get up at midnight, they might get up at one, two in the morning, and they would go with lamps, and he would go get his bride. She would have to have herself ready. She'd have her dress ready. She would sleep with the dress at night on so she could be prepared at any moment. I mean, that does sound like a different culture than America, doesn't it? I mean, you want to wake me up at one in the morning to go to a wedding, I will see you tomorrow night is what I'm going to tell them. <laughs> but they showed up, knocked on the door, let, let everyone know they were coming, and, and you had to be ready to go. So when he's talking to Jewish people about it, they know exactly what he's talking about. He said, you better be prepared for departure. Because in verse 40, he said, I'm going to come at an hour when you don't expect it. In the middle of the night, the bridegroom is going to show up for his bride. Yeah, you got to be prepared. You better have your luggage packed. That's what he's saying. Now, I'm someone who likes to travel, and I like to make plans for my travel. I might stay up all night figuring out how to pack the luggage. I've been on international trips. We went to India for two weeks. I've been in Israel for a couple weeks. I've had too many times where the clowns who take your luggage get it lost. I mean, one time Elizabeth and I were going to Canada to be with her family, and I'm over here in Nova Scotia, and my luggage went to Ontario, <laughs> Ontario, California, <laughs> which in case you didn't know, geography is across the continent. So I'm wearing dirty clothes in people's bathrobes for like two days, and after that experience, man, I, I mean, I just take carry-on with me. Uh, I'm prepared. I'm ready to go. And listen, when Jesus comes back, you don't have to be worried about clothes because you can be wearing robes of righteousness one day, right? So what he's talking about here in preparation is not about uh, a natural preparation. He's talking about us being spiritually prepared for the Lord's return. It means you're going to have to have your waist girded. You're going to have to be ready to run with him, ready to go when he comes. The Bible says that your spiritual senses needs to be exercised. In other words, you're going to have to be in spiritual shape to run the race that God has called you to run. you got to know how to run. And I was you know, reading about horse blinders. You know why they put blinders on horses? It's so that they can just run their own race. Because you know, if you get running next to people, you get distracted. And, and you, know, you may not be able to keep up with them. You might get frustrated, but you just got to run the race that God has set for you. He's got a race for you. And you got to have oil in your lamps. The oil symbolizes the Holy Spirit. That, that's what it represents. And when you think about that Holy Spirit in your life, it's evidence of a dynamic, working, actual relationship with Him. And when you think about the Spirit of God in your life, 
Some people think about spirituality like it's casting out devils and prophesying over people. And if I could define what the relationship with the Holy Spirit really looks like, it's probably best described as the time gap between the moment you realize you've sinned and when you repent. Mm. That's what it means to have the oil of God in your life. When your heart is right, when your heart is sensitive, when he's active, when there's a real relationship in there and he is at work within you. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to have oil in your lamp ready. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm coming when you don't expect it and you better be ready to go. The first thing you've got to be prepared for is departure. Now, here, here's the second thing. In verse 36, I'm staying in the same verse. He's reminding them to be like men who wait. Somebody say wait. He said, be like men who wait for the master because he's coming at that wedding. Now, the second thing that we got to be prepared for is prepared to wait. There's an old country song that says waiting is the hardest part. And this is why I call this the parables of preparation. Kind of like preparation H, because waiting is a pain in the you-know-what. <laughs> Ain't nobody want to wait. And I just think it's interesting that Jesus said, you better be ready, but you got to be ready to wait. I mean, he's telling them, I'm coming, you better be ready. But in the meantime, like you're waiting. Look at verse 41. Jump down to verse 41. Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable to us or to all people? And he said that because in verse 39, Jesus had mentioned about, you know, if you had known what hour the master was coming, you would be prepared. And it left Peter with the idea that maybe not everybody would be going with him. So he wants clarification. And so the Lord began to elaborate on what he's talking about in the parable. He said in verse 42, he said, who then is a faithful and a wise steward, whom his master will make ruler over his household to give away the portion of food in their due season. And he said, blessed is that servant whom his master will find. That's what this doing. He'll find him being faithful when he comes. Let me tell you about the faithful servants. That's what this parable is about, the faithful and the busy servants. Faithful people who are waiting are people who are working. They're busy. And they are just doing the work of the Lord, they're after it. They're staying in the right place. Uh, you know, there's something about being busy. Jesus said, you better occupy until I come. That means do business while you're waiting. Do the work of the Lord. Do the work of the kingdom. This is what happened when Samuel showed up and he anointed David as the king. David was out in the fields tending the sheep. He was busy doing what he was supposed to be doing, and he was being faithful. And while we're waiting, there are faithful servants who are in the world doing the work of the Lord. That's what you got to do. You got to do the work of the Lord. Be a blessing. Let your light shine wherever it is. Know how to minister to people. Be connected. Be an example. Be a witness. You know, I joined the, uh, the gym recently, having a great time down there running in the mornings. And uh, my wife was asking me, she was like, uh, So, are there some trainers down there? Are they girls? Are they good looking? You struggling with them? And uh, I was like, Well, I don't know, Elizabeth, I think a couple of them might be lesbians. I don't know. You know, I'm, <laughs> she, that made her feel better. <laughs> but, you know, you can't get rattled by the way people live. Sometimes when you're a pastor, you live in a bubble. 
And all you're doing is surrounded by Christian people all the time, and you never get out and rub shoulders with anybody else out there. And there's something about, man, when you meet people wherever they are, whatever walk of life they come, you got to be a witness. you got to know how to let your light shine. you got to know how to love people. you got to know what it means to wrap your arms around it, be a blessing, encourage people. That's what it means to be a believer. Is you just trying to be a witness and do the work of the Lord in any situation that you're in. Man, there's something about being faithful. But here's the problem with the parable. Waiting is not easy. And in the place of waiting, Jesus is going to address some people who became complacent rather than just being steady and being faithful. Because, you know, the longer we wait, the more complacency kicks in. Now, I want to read verse 45. Watch this. Jesus said, if that servant, the servant who's supposed to be faithful and waiting and working for the Lord, if that servant says, my master is delaying his coming. And he begins to beat the male and the female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. Then the master of the servant will come in a day when he's not looking for him, in an hour when he's not expecting him. Now, let me tell you about the complacent or the unfaithful, the unwise servants. It is when you get bored with waiting, sometimes you become complacent. And what I've noticed is that when people get complacent, this is where they can almost become abusive in their authority, abusive with what they have. Now, in right now in America, we've got an epidemic called celebrity Christianity. And it doesn't really so much affect people who live up here in the middle of nowhere in Montana. But if you get into some places and you're like a pastor or a well-known preacher, it's like you have rock star status. And people just hound you in droves. And I'm just here to tell you, preachers are not celebrities. They're people just like myself and yourself, and they're prone to make mistakes. But I have studied out guys. One guy in Chicago, before they fired him, they found out that he had racked up a $42 million debt bill, and nobody in the church knew anything about it. I mean, he'd taken his church into such a place. They fired him for being abusive for you know, all kinds of abuses with his authority and comments, and you're reading about that more and more now all the time. Jesus said that when people start getting complacent, they can get abusive, or he said they might be out getting drunk. Now, I remember being a teenager, and I had just rededicated my life. I'm reading through the Bible, and I came to this parable, this very verse where it said they would be out getting drunk because they weren't prepared for the Lord's return, and it was like a knife penetrated me because I had been out getting drunk. And I just remember how much that shook me. I mean, like, like this is talking to me right now in this moment. And I just remember how, how much that affected me. It helped me set free, get set free. Je Jesus here is saying, when people get complacent, it's like they get cozy, they get comfortable in, in their own way of living. And it's like they think that the Lord's delaying his coming and, and they get focused on the things of the world. You get focused on your portfolio and, and, and the house you want to build and the life that you have, and you start building things that are outside of his kingdom. And he's just trying to warn everybody that it, when, when you just are so comfortable, you might not be prepared for the Lord's return. So he says some scary things. This is what makes parables theologically complex. In verse 46, he, he said, that master who's unfaithful, he said, he better be ready because I'm going to come on a day when he's not looking, an hour when he's not aware, and I will cut him in two and appoint him a portion with the unbelievers. He said, there's going to be a separation 
like with the sheep and the goats, like with the wheat and the tares. He said in verse 47, that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself. See, we're talking here about parables of preparation. He did not prepare himself to do his will. It said, he himself shall be beaten with stripes. You know what this is talking about when Jesus talked about believers being cut off, when he said beaten with stripes? He's talking about people who are, if they're not prepared, they're going to endure the darkness and the suffering of the tribulation period. That's why I believe the rapture is a reward for faithful living. Because there's a moment in time in the future when things are going to get crazy on the planet. And Jesus said, if you're not prepared, if you're living your life in such a way that it's for yourself, you're not being faithful with what he's given you, you, you will not be ready in the moment when I come back from the wedding. That's what he's letting people know. He said in verse 48, that he who did not know, but committed things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few. And he makes this great statement, that to everyone who much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. Here's what he's letting us know right here, that the people who knew more are going to be held to a higher account, a higher standard. The more that you know, the more that you are responsible for. There's a verse in the book of James that says that you should not desire to become preachers because you'll receive a stricter judgment. You know, as a preacher of the Bible, I'm held to a higher account, which means that you shouldn't take the things that I say at face value. You ought to go study themselves out in the Bible to find out if they're true or not. I mean, you're going to be held responsible for the things that you know. And Jesus is saying that if I've given you so much, if I've given you the word of God and the Holy Spirit, you better be responsible with that. Because as I was saying last week, man, we got a lot of people in the culture today who show up at Christmas and Easter for church. And that's kind of like the level of relationship with God they have. And he's saying, you better be prepared in these last days. This is what he's talking about. Because his reward is with him. I mean, this is the most incredible thing about Jesus. He's telling us, that we have to be like people who are waiting and we're working. That means we have to be prepared to wait. We have to have patience. We have to run our race with perseverance. That is the whole theme of the series I've been looking at. Whenever you read about life in the last days, you're going to have to be prepared to go the distance. And if you do, there will be a reward waiting for you. And I'm telling you that the rewards program heaven has to offer is so much better than any points that you're going to get on your MasterCard or your Visa points or the Hilton Hotel Honors Program. I'm telling you, heaven is going to be a lot better than Billings. Can I get a witness on that? I mean, he's coming and his reward is with him. Now, number three. Jump down to verse number 51. Jesus is still talking and he's talking in context and he's kind of laying out more of what he's trying to say here. Verse 51. He said, do you suppose that I came to give peace on the earth? And if you hadn't read the rest of the verse, you would automatically assume that it's Jesus who loves everybody and he's kind and caring, mild, meek, and mannered. But actually what he said was that I tell you, I'm not coming to give you peace, but he said rather division. That ought to make your eyes like blink and read that again. For from now on, he said, five people will be in one house and they'll be divided three against two, two against three. He's going to tell us the next verse, you're going to get in fights with your father-in-law and your mother-in-law. And as I understand it, it's okay to fight with your mother-in-law. 
My mother-in-law is actually coming next this week. She's going to be down here from Canada. Hadn't been able to come down for two years because the borders finally opened now. We're looking forward to seeing her. Be prepared. Now, this is an interesting one here. I, I prayed about this. I looked it up. What he's talking about. Here's what you have to be prepared for. You have to be prepared for passion. Emotions that are running wild. Passions that are going up and down. Difficulties, divisions. And, and you know, when you think about Jesus, this is in line up with what he said in the Sermon on the Mount, where he's telling you to love other people, turn your other cheek. You know, we ought to walk in love with each other. All those things are true. But he said, in the last days, at the time of my coming, what you need to be prepared for is divisiveness in the world. I, I mean, he's telling us that it's almost like in the last days, people are going to revert to being teenagers. I mean, immaturity and offenses are going to abound everywhere you look. Have you looked at society today? I mean, we live in a time when people don't know how to communicate with each other because everybody gets so angry about things, just in the same way that Jesus said they would happen. He's talking about a baptism he's about to endure. In verse 50, he said, I'm going to go through a baptism, a baptism by fire. He's not talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the passion of the cross and fiery trials. And he said, if I have to go through a passion, you better be ready for the passion that you're going to have to endure. In other words, you got to be ready for division in the last days. The love of people is going to grow cold. People are going to argue with each other. I mean, just think about how people today are at each other's throats. I mean, it's like there's never been a more divided time in American history, I think, than the moment we're in right now since the Civil War, really. I mean, it's really a crazy time, just like the Bible said. He, he said people might turn against you. You know, in Bible days, if you converted to Christianity, they might kill you. I mean, the guy who wrote three-fifths of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, was out stoning the first martyr, a man named Stephen. And yet God turned his heart. A, a conversion to Christianity might cost you your life. Uh, my friend Chris Michelson, I don't know if you remember Chris, he came here in January, and he does tremendous outreaches in Pakistan. You know, right now, Pakistan is like wide open. They have a constitution that allows evangelism. You can go there and have mass crusades. You can't have that in Afghanistan. Can't have that in Iran. India has closed that down. So there's one opening in Pakistan, which is one of the most densely populated places. He's found a very fruitful field that he's ministering. And so we're doing the PAC 100 initiative, partnering with him. We want to pay for one of his crusades because it's incredible what he's able to do over there. He said in, in Pakistan, you know, you got Muslims who, they're like, you know, jack Muslims. They, they don't care. They love on you, talk to you, no problems. But then you've got the other ones who, if they find out you've converted, it's off with your head. I mean, you, you're going to come across that even in the world today where if you turn your heart to the Lord, you could, you could lose your life over it. Now, it's really not that way in America. In America today, people aren't trying to kill you. They just don't want to have Thanksgiving dinner with you, right? I mean, I was laughing about that because they said, you know, that we got such divisiveness in our society that, that people on different ends of the political spectrum, they can't even have Thanksgiving together anymore. You know, this happened to me in 1999 when I was a student at Oral Roberts University and my uncle took me to California for Thanksgiving. And I remember I was sitting at a table with people I had really never met before. Somehow they were extended families of people. And so we got talking, and the subject of politics came up, and I was sitting next to one of the uncles, and he and I were the only two on one side of the political persuasion, and the rest of them started throwing mashed potatoes and stuffing at us. 
I was unprepared for the division. <laughs> and that was before, you know, that was back in the days of Bill Clinton. Who, who looks, doesn't look like too divisive right now compared to everything we've been through. And, and when you just think about the times and, and the seasons, it's like, man, this division is in the world today. I mean, I've seen people get in such arguments over the vaccine mandates. I mean, they, they are fighting at each other's throats. It's, it's really an incredible situation in the world today. How are you going to handle, how can you be prepared for moments like this with people, people in your own household? You know, Scripture tells us what to do. In Proverbs, it says that a soft answer turns away wrath. It could be that the problem you have is that the answer you have isn't very soft. It's a tough tone. And that might be what people are responding to. Ephesians says that you can speak the truth in love. And it could be that people say things, but they don't know how to love each other. The book of Romans chapter 12 says, if it's possible, and as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And man, whenever I think about that, I try to engage people. I try to express respect for them. I'm trying to listen to what they're trying to say. And I try to treat them with dignity in the same way that I'd want to be treated. But right now in the culture, it's like, man, people, they, 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 don't, they don't know how to engage in dialogue with people that they can't respect or, or disagree with. It's, it's really a moment. A few years ago, we had uh, meetings with the non-discrimination ordinance. So we were just going as pastors. I was with a group of pastors to tell the city, hey, we think that the men's bathroom should be for the men. The women's bathroom should be for the women. And, and you know, we're down there and we're dialoguing with them. And uh, we were there all night. I'm, I'm in the hallway, and some guy across from me, he's wearing a different color shirt because he's on a different side of the aisle. And, and I, I was just trying to make small talk, but he was terrified of me, of me. I'm a pretty nice guy. I mean, I was trying to engage him, and I found a way to finally say, hey, listen, I heard you speak the other night. I don't really agree with it, but you were articulate. You know, you, you said, you know, and it, it finally softened him up a little bit. Man, you got to find a way. To, to prepare yourself for divisions. Because that's what Jesus said life will be like in these last days. you got to find how. I'm, yeah. Now, if you want to know something else that's interesting, think about what Jesus said in John 15. He said, the reason why the world hates you is because it hates me. And if you want to really know what the division is over, it's really over Jesus. Is he the son of God or is he just a prophet? Is he coming back as a king to judge the world or is he just a good man and a philosopher you should follow? And that is really what the division is over. It's over who Jesus is. That's why he's worth hanging on to. Now, number three. Number four. Jump down to verse number 58. I'm just covering interesting scriptures. Because I don't know that I've ever taught through these. I don't hear much teaching from verse 58. Jesus said, when you go to your adversary, to the magistrate, that's like Pontius Pilate, when you're going to the government, make every effort along the way to settle with him, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge deliver you to the police officer, and the police throw you in prison. He said, I, I will tell you, you shall not depart from there, and you've paid the very last mite. Now, here's the fourth thing you've got to be prepared for. Be prepared for reconciliation. You know, when you read verses like this in the Bible, it's easy to gloss over them and just act like you know what it's talking about when you full well know you've got no idea what he's trying to say right here. <laughs> so he's letting people know, if you're a believer and you see the Roman legal authority coming, then you got to do everything you can to make peace with your adversary and prevent arrest. Because if they get you in a legal process, it's going to be lengthy, it's going to be very expensive, it might be more than it's worth. 
Just think about the legal system today. If you get caught up in a court situation, it can go on and cost you so much money. You know, they tell whistleblowers in companies the best way to handle the thing is to just bring it to the media because if it goes through the court procedure, it's going to take months and years and may never come out. That's what he's saying. He, he said, do everything you can to get reconciled with people. Reconciliation means that you're brought back into unity. It means that you have an amicable working relationship again. Now, this just happened to me in our home because, you know, Elizabeth wants to decorate for Thanksgiving or for Christmas before Thanksgiving. And I just think that that dishonors the legacy of the pilgrims. That's what I told her. <laughs> but, but you know what? We got Christmas lights up and a tree up, and Elizabeth and I have been reconciled. So <laughs> you, you can pray. You don't have to pray for us no more. Here's what Jesus is saying. If, you, if people knew that a storm was coming, and by the way, a storm is coming in the tribulation period, when the wrath of God is coming on a sin-sick planet, he, he said, I'm warning you, you, you don't want to get cut, in this, cut out in the storm. In a Jewish wedding, you know what happens if you didn't get up and come out and celebrate with everybody? You got locked out. The doors were shut. You couldn't come into that wedding for the next couple days while they partied away. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm, I'm going to cut people a, a, a different portion. You're going to have to be beaten with rods. A storm is coming, and you better be prepared for the storm. That's more than boarding up your windows and buying generators. That has to do with being spiritually prepared to be reconciled with God and with man. Now, what I love about the Bible is its divine brilliance and balance. Think about what you've been studying here. We're talking about, on one hand, Jesus said, you better be prepared to go. But he said, you got to be prepared to wait. you got to be prepared for the passion and the emotion and the division of these last days. But you also have to be prepared for reconciliation, to get right with people to get right with God. You know, you can get right with people. It can be done. First, laying out the ideas that believers should not take each other to court. And he's telling us, he's kind of laying out the idea that you can make it right with people. Jesus said in Matthew 5, if you go to church and you're singing and dancing and worshiping, and yet you got a problem with somebody, the first thing you ought to do is go get reconciled and right with your brother so that your praise will be accepted to God. And there's something about just getting right with people. And I do remember to this day the moment when my sister and I, who were at odds because of my rebellious, pernicious ways as a teenager, she forgave me for my sin, man. We, we, we had no more fighting after that. She forgave me. We got reconciled. I, to this day, I still remember what it means to get right with someone that you're offended at or bitter with. You can get right with God. I mean, that is the message of the gospel. Romans chapter 5 says that we have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, which means that he's made a way. He's made a bridge. He, he is the advocate. He's your lawyer. He, he, he's a, a mediator. And he's the friend that you have. And that means that God isn't angry at you. That's the message of the gospel. You can get right with God before the hour is too late. That's what Jesus is saying. Do everything you can to get right in these days. Let me tell you about reconciliation. There's a verse of the Bible, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18, which tells us that we have a ministry of reconciliation, that we've been reconciled to God, and God has given us a ministry of reconciliation, which means that he's called you to do that. He's called you to actively have a role in being a minister and blessing somebody, in doing the work of the Lord. He, he, he said, I've got 
an assignment for you. Go out and be a blessing. Reconcile people. Be a witness. Work for the kingdom of God. You know, reconciliation is done through relationship. It's simple. It's building something with somebody. You know, recently I was uh, going to a meeting, and I ran into a man here in town, Judge Russell Fagg, who was on the bench for many, many years, well-respected, esteemed judge. And he was friends with my father, who was a lawyer. And every time I see Judge Fagg, he always reminds me about the time when my dad blessed his secretary. She was out of money, and dad did something and paid for something right there on the spot for her, prayed over her. And, and he was just, my dad was just using his, his uh, life as opportunities to reconcile people, bring them together, be a blessing. And, and I was thinking about the relationship I had with my dad, and, and I was thinking about the relationship then I have with God the Father. I've often told you, man, about, you know, my, one of my stories is, is the way I was raised, man. My dad was a generous man, and I think he spoiled me. I mean, we'd go to the movies, and he'd pull out a bill full, full of 20s and just, hey, how much do you need? I mean, never was, was a problem. And, we, you know, we, he'd take us on trips, and, and, and so it left me spoiled, and so I've had a lifelong struggle sometimes to have gratitude and, and find appreciation for things. It's, it's been something God's really walked me through. And I remember when I found myself calling mom and dad one Friday night, and I said, hey, I need you to come get me. And dad said, he, and I said, where at? Where you at? I said, well, I'm in jail. And he laughed. He said, no, really, where are you at? And I said, no, I'm at the Laurel Police Department. And he said, what are you doing there? I said, well, um, I got a MIP, a minor in possession of alcohol. And he said, you're grounded. And he hung the phone up. And I knew he was coming. If he had been smart, he would have let me stay there for a day. But he showed up with my mom. Mom was bawling. There's nothing worse than a mother crying because her kid got arrested. So, you know, Dad, he took me before Judge Herman, the guy in Laurel. It was my second time before Judge Herman. The first time was for a ticket. But uh, Dad was my lawyer, and he stepped in. He handled all the legal negotiations, and he helped pay the fine. And so we could say, yeah, maybe I was spoiled. But you know what that served to do is it reinforced the idea that God, my father, like my earthly father, is generous, benevolent, merciful he overlooks your offenses in other words it's easy to get reconciled with people like that who are generous with you and you'll never meet anyone more generous and more kind and benevolent than God and he's not angry at you and he wants to be reconciled to you he wants to be right with you now maybe this morning in this season you're not right with the Lord maybe you need to be reconciled to him and brought into right relationship and I just want to give you the chance today every head bowed every eye closed if you are not right with him. If you drifted, if, if your heart is in a different spot, if you don't know how good he is, think about how good God is in these days in which we live. His goodness is there. I want you to just put a hand up. If, if that's you and you need to be reconciled, and I want you to pray. I'll pray with you about his goodness in your life. I see that hand back there. I see that hand. Why don't you pray with me? Say, Father, for, everyone pray with me. Father, forgive me my sin. Come into my life. I, I, I embrace your forgiveness and I want to live with you and I want to work with you and I want to know you and I just thank you for your goodness in my life. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer and you're sincere about it, man, God, you're beginning an adventure, a relationship, a walk with God. He could be your father, a friend that sticks closer than a brother, a friend who sees you through difficult things. He wants to be there with you in those moments. 
I was thinking about uh, how he's given us a ministry of reconciliation. And what that means is that he's called you to do something so you could be a witness. And I don't know, as I was praying about this, some people are engaged, man. Some people are in the game and they're serving the Lord and every chance they have, they're being a witness. But maybe a lot of you, you, you might feel like, man, there's more I could do. I, I feel like I, I could get in the game more. I feel like God could use me in a greater way. And if you feel like you want to be used in a greater capacity in the kingdom of God, if you feel like in this times where we're waiting and you got to work and you got to be patient and you want to maximize and be a faithful servant, I just want to invite you to stand up and I want to pray over you. I want to pray over anybody who wants to be used in a greater capacity in a higher way. Right now, where are at. Why don't you just stand up with me? Just all across the room, just stand up. If you sing, Lord, I want to be used for your kingdom in a greater way, in a higher way, in a deeper way. Say, Lord, here I am and use me. And I, I just want to pray that over the people of God this morning. I want to pray for people who are, want to be more engaged. Lord, over this group of people, these laborers in the field, I'm praying and declaring, Lord, for passion, energy, excitement, focus, a sense of purpose. Lord, I pray that when opportunities come, they would not miss their moment. You know what that's like? When you have a moment, you know you could say something for the Lord, do something, and you miss your moment. Man, I've done that. I've left opportunities on the table. And I just kind of sense in my spirit there's people out there, and you can think of moments like that where you missed it. And I want to pray specifically that you have the wisdom, the courage, and the strength to be a witness, to be an example, to be a blessing, to share your faith, to labor in the field. You know, you're not responsible to save everybody. You're just responsible to be a light. God's the one that does the saving. Yep. Father, I just thank you for this group of people. Getting excited, getting passionate, getting fired up. Lord, stir them up, put a fire within them everywhere, every day, every place they're at, in their jobs. Lord, at the schools, in society, when they're shopping at Walmart. Every situation, God, use them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. I, I do feel, I feel some of you, man, you, you feel stirred, you feel convicted. I'm telling you, God is going to use you as a laborer in his field to do great and mighty things. Amen? Amen. Amen. If you want prayer for anything, these altars are open. We're here to pray with you. Uh, I want to just thank you for coming out to Bethany Church. I pray that you have a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend. Um, after the service today, man, we're going to help decorate the church. we got some Christmas cookies back there to exchange. The kids are doing Christmas stuff. If you want your kid to play, man, it'd be a great time. Uh, and I just want to challenge you, man. Invite someone out to church. Be a blessing. Let's just thank the Lord for his goodness. Amen. Father, we're so thankful in this season of your provision and your blessing. Yeah, go out of here with joy, man. Be a blessing. We love you all very much. We'll catch you all next week.